If you have a copy of God's word, please take it and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 18. Today we're going to be talking about God's infinite provision. We're going to be talking about the fact that we have a God who provides for his people from the source of his infinite grace that never runs out. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse 18, we're gonna go down through verse 25 today. As has become our custom, we have one of our wonderful families from our church that's gonna read the scripture for us. If you've got first Peter two open, would you please stand with us as we honor the reading of God's word as one of our families leads us in reading and praying for this. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you to, not only if they're kind to you and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For when God is pleased, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust pun- punishment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God will be pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He does not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he has suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you were healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, I pray for Pastor Spencer that um, you would speak through him today. Um, I pray that you would remove distractions and um, we would be attentive and that our hearts would be um, receivers of your word. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this past week, our family got to go on a little mini vacation to the great city of Galveston. Anybody in here ever been to Galveston, to the beach? It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Um... Uh, playing in the sand, playing in the ocean, swimming at the pool. It's great when the hardest decision every day is whether they go to the beach or the pool, isn't it? It's a good day. Uh, but one of my favorite things to do when I go to the beach is to have some moments to just quietly look out over the water with a cup of coffee and my Bible. Uh, for me, just looking out over that endless water, there's something very calming and at the same time, very orienting about that experience. Because when I look at over that water, it, it reminds me very quickly of how small I am. We're, we're told all the time that we're invincible, that we can accomplish everything. But when you see those waves and you see that endless water, you get a sense of your humanity, of who you really are. But you also get a sense on the magnanimity of God, how big he is, how powerful he is. When you see the endless water and you see the waves, you think, man, if God made this and this is so huge and he's bigger than that, That kind of blows the small conceptions in my mind about God that I usually have. But this past week when I was 
reading my Bible and drinking some coffee and looking at the water, one of the things God also reminded me of was that when I looked at that ocean and I saw how limitless it was, that I'm also seeing a picture, an illustration of his limitless love for me. That the Bible says that we cannot measure the love of God in the same way that I can't measure the depth and the height and the love of God. I can't measure the depth of that ocean as I watch it. I can't measure the depth of his love for me. First Peter is indeed a guide to pilgrims. It's a guide to people who were having a hard time because they were sticking out. They weren't fitting in to the culture that was around them at that time. And he writes to them, telling them that they're gonna suffer. They're gonna face difficulty. They're gonna be mistreated. A couple weeks ago, when we looked at First Peter, we were learning that they were being mistreated by the government, that they were having to submit to those governing authorities. This week, he's gonna talk about the workplace. But in both cases, what he's gonna call us to consider today is that what we've got to tap into if we're gonna walk as pilgrims, as people who don't call this place our true home, if we're gonna walk faithfully in this life, we've got to tap in to his mercy and grace that's limitless. This is the good news of the gospel, is that the Christian life doesn't have to be a burden. The Christian life is called to be a joy, even when we're walking through difficult trials and suffering. Here's the idea that I want you to get this morning from God's word. Because of God's infinite provision, you and I must depend on him. Because God's grace is limitless. It knows no boundaries. And because you and I as Christians are going to face difficulties in this life, We've got to tap into the grace of God, not just when we first come to know him, but every single day we're called to follow him. I'm gonna show you two ways you and I are called to depend on the infinite provision of God's grace from this passage of scripture. Number one, I want you to see in this passage that we are called to depend on God's favor. We're called to depend on God's favor. Look in your Bibles at verse 18. It says, household slaves submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. And to really grasp this and understand it, we have to get the context here. So I first want you to notice favors context. There's a context that's important. Because what Peter's not doing in this passage is advocating for slavery. Peter's not saying that the Bible is encouraging treating people like property. What the Bible is saying is that many of the early Christians that Peter was writing to found themselves as slaves. In fact, scholars debate, but the the, the, the theory is that the majority of the early church, some of the earliest Christian converts were slaves. Makes sense because the vast majority of the Roman empire was comprised of slaves. These were people that either by choice had sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt, or they'd been a a foreign people that had been conquered and enslaved. But the point is the Bible is a book that's speaking into the real experience of the people in this culture, 
it is not a verse that we're meant to extrapolate and use to support the evil of slavery. And this is important, especially in the current cultural climate that we're in, where we say the church has got to repent of taking verses like this and using them to support racism. We believe every single person has value. It's why we have no problem saying black lives matter. I know that's a very controversial statement, but the reason we can say that with full confidence, though we distance ourselves from the godless ideologies that have been attached to that movement is because we do believe African-Americans have value. We believe every person has value because every person bears the image of God. This passage is not teaching that there are people that are substandard or subhuman. This passage is God's word helping people who found themselves in impossibly difficult circumstances learn how to navigate those circumstances. From that context, Peter gives us a principle. The principle Peter gives us is one in which he tells us this idea. God gives special grace when we suffer well. God gives a special kind of favor and blessing to his people when we face difficulty and strife and problems and we endure those effectively. Look at what he says in verses 18, 19, and 20 as he impacts this. He says, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel, for it brings, there's this word, favor or blessing, if because of consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it, but when you do what is good and suffer, you endure it. This brings favor with God. So when we're mindful of God, the Bible here talks about conscientiousness before the Lord. When we endure mistreatment, injustice, faithfully, honorably, with honesty and integrity, because we're worshiping the Lord, God sees that. And there's a special grace, a special blessing and favor God gives us to endure that. This is important because here's what I can promise you. If you're a follower of Jesus, living in a broken world, you are gonna be mistreated at some point in your life. Count on it. There's gonna come a point when you're gonna deal with an impossible boss, an impossible teacher, an impossible relationship, an impossible situation that just looks like you have been totally unjustly treated. You've been treated unfairly in every conceivable way. The question is not whether we're gonna be mistreated in this life. The question is, how are we gonna respond when we're mistreated? What Peter says is, whether you have a master or an employer or a teacher that's cruel or gentle, when you endure faithfully, honorably, with integrity and honesty, doing the job or the thing that you're doing with faithfulness to God, God sees that and he gives you a special blessing to endure that. Well, I don't know, Spencer, that sounds like a pretty tall order. You're saying that I'm supposed to endure suffering when I'm doing the right thing? 
I mean, it's one thing if I'm enduring suffering, I'm doing the wrong thing. I get that kind of equation. But if I'm doing what's right and I suffer, can I not like fight back or, or, or somehow push back against what's happening? He's not saying that we can't speak truth or point out error. He is saying that we're to endure. Let me show you why. The reason you and I are called to endure suffering when we're treated unfairly is because we're following somebody who did the same thing. Look at verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That word called means you and I have been given the assignment of following somebody who suffered unjustly, who was in the most uh, grievous way treated unfairly. In fact, it even says Jesus is our example. That word in your Bible is example is the word that we get the idea of a stencil from. So my beautiful little girl, Paige, is in the back here being very good, it looks like right now. Hi, baby. Um, We are teaching her her letters and her numbers right now. And one of the things eventually we'll do is we'll get a stencil out that has the letter A, all the letters on it for her to be able to practice. It's a piece of plastic, right? With the letter kind of cut out and she puts her pencil there and learns how to write A and B and C and all. And then there are the numbers that are there as well. That, that stencil's designed to teach kids how to write their letters and their numbers so that when that stencil's gone, they know what it looks like. What this passage is saying is that Jesus is our stencil. He's this outline that shows us how we are called to live. Jesus Christ is our example that shows us how we are to respond when we are mistreated. Notice what the Bible says he did. Look at verse 22 and verse 23. What did Jesus do? He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So watch this. When Jesus was insulted and attacked, he didn't return with attack. He did not, in other words, repay evil for evil. Jesus instead trusted himself to the righteous, just judge. Now consider this, if there was ever a person that would have been justified in returning evil for evil, it was Jesus Christ. He was perfect. He never committed one sin, never did one thing wrong. The perfect son of God, God and humanity in the flesh, right there in front of us, never did one thing wrong. And yet he was insulted, he was reviled. He was killed on a cruel cross. I don't know about you, but there've been some points in my life where I've been mistreated. There was a specific moment when I was pastoring in Missouri where I felt like I was being mistreated. I know it's hard to believe this, but sometimes people in church can be kind of tough to deal with. Not, not you guys, of course. Other people far away, some other place. But sometimes Christians can act unchristian. And I was driving to church one Sunday morning and frankly, I was just kind of having a pity party. You ever done that? 
this isn't working right and this isn't working right and this person's saying this about me and this person's misrepresenting what I said and, and I was just kind of feeling sorry for myself. And as I was driving to church that morning, I was listening to a song called The Power of the Cross. And there's a line in that song where it says that Jesus was tried by sinful men. And I know why, but the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart and said, Spencer, if Jesus Christ faithfully submitted to sinful beings he created, you can endure a little mistreatment as a pastor. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of mistreatment that you walk through, but I want you to know that the example Jesus has set for us is that we should trust ourselves to the righteous, just judge, because in the end, God is going to make everything right. Here's the principle. Here's the principle, okay? Here's the principle. Desperation for God ensures favor with God. Here's the principle. Desperation for God ensures favor with God. Let me be clear. Favor is not a new car. It's not a new house. It's not even God getting you out of the place where you're being mistreated. Favor is God's special blessing to help you endure, to help you to be faithful to Christ in the face of being mistreated. So let me ask you this question. How are you facing mistreatment today? How are you facing being unfairly treated in your life? Is there a desperation for God? Is there a desperation to get even? Is there a a rage in your heart against the people that have done you wrong? Or is there a repentance in your life for which you know you need to be faithful to Jesus? Here's my concern, church. Listen carefully. Mistreatment, suffering, and difficulty, it does one of two things in your life. It either makes you humble or it hardens you. It either brings you to your knees, crying out to God for help, or it makes you bitter and angry with something that will eat you up for years to come. I wonder if there's some of us today who need to be reminded that the most powerful thing you can do when you're being mistreated is to quietly trust God. That doesn't mean you can't say to your boss, this is wrong. That doesn't mean you can't point out a flaw in what's happening in a particular situation where you're being mistreated, but it does mean that ultimately you're trusting God to sort it out. You're trusting him to take care of it. Parents, this is particularly important for us as we guide our children. Can we just put this on the table? Our kids are gonna be mistreated. And can I tell you what I've already discovered about having a daughter? Whoever mistreats my daughter is gonna pay a price, okay? I've already told Shelly, I'm gonna really, listen, the boys are one thing, but Paige being made fun of or being hurt by somebody else at school, I, I just know that's gonna be a particularly tough pill for me to swallow. But parents, can I remind you of an important principle? We are called not to prepare the path for the child, 
we are called to prepare the child for the path. And there's a lot of us, if we're not careful, that are trying to prepare the path by removing every single obstacle in my kid's way. Every rock, every person, every difficulty. I've heard of parents emailing college professors about their kid not getting the grade they think they deserve. Don't be that person, mom and dad. Don't be that parent. Help your children understand that being mistreated, being unfairly treated is a part of life in a fallen, broken world. And that enduring by trusting God, by desperately calling out to him and believing that he's gonna take care of you is the most powerful thing you can do. No, it's not wrong to call for justice. No, it's not wrong to point out error, but it's wrong to put our ultimate hope in humanity's ability to fix things. Let's just remember, true, lasting, sustainable justice will never be brought about by a governing institution in this world. True justice is not coming until Jesus returns. That's why he says here, entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Number one, we are desperate for God's favor. But number two, if we're gonna endure difficulty and pain and sorrow, we've also gotta be dependent on God's healing. We've gotta be dependent on God's healing. Look in your Bibles at verse 24. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. Okay, when Peter talks about the healing of God, he talks about it in terms of an exchange that's going on here. On the one hand, Jesus is taking my sin on himself. He's taking your sin on himself. Our lying, our stealing, our disobedience of our parents, our lust, our pride, our worship of self has warranted the wrath and justice of God. Every person because of their sin deserves the punishment of God. Here, what this passage is saying is the beauty of grace is that Jesus takes our punishment on himself. He takes our sin on himself and he exchanges our sin by faith with his righteousness. He gets our sin, we get righteousness, we get holiness, we get innocence. This is why he says we have died to sin so that we might live to righteousness. You see, this is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. Because every other religion in the world says, do something so God will love you. Do these things so God will approve of you. Christianity says, do these things because God loves you. Do these things because you have the approval of the Father. See, the reason we follow the example of Jesus is because Jesus Christ is more than just an example. He's more than just a pattern to follow. Jesus is the substance. He's the transformational power that makes following him possible in the first place. I don't follow Jesus so he'll love me. 
I follow Jesus because as a believer, he does love me. Every other religion says do, Christianity says done. Don't forget that. Healings exchange means that you and I have been given a love that changes us, motivates us to be able to follow Jesus, even when it's tough. How do I face mistreatment when it's obvious to everyone around me that I didn't get a fair shake, that I didn't get that promotion, that I didn't get that thing that I deserved, that I, things didn't work out the way I thought they would. How do I endure it? It is by pressing into this love that I have been given, that no one can take from me. Healing's exchange means that Jesus takes our sin and we get his righteousness. But we also see in this passage, not just healing's exchange, we see healing's result. Notice what he says in the last part of verse 24, going into verse 25. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Not only has Jesus healed you by giving you his righteousness, he's changed your standing, you're forgiven, you're loved. He's also brought you into right relationship with your father. Here, he calls him the shepherd and overseer of our souls. This is filled with allusions to the Old Testament. It's calling back to remember what Psalm 23 calls God as our good shepherd. That he's one who cares for us, loves us, protects us. In fact, God's loving care for us is so strong that even when we're in the presence of our enemies, people who hate us, we're safe, we're secure. Here's the principle I want you to see, okay? Jesus meets us where we are, but he does not leave us where we are. Let me say that again. The gospel says that God meets us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our sorrow, but God doesn't leave us there. He transforms and moves us out of that. This is important because on the one hand, we need to be clear. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. That's a place where if you're gonna aim in, you gotta, you gotta jump in there. You gotta just jump in there. <laughs> God loves me, not as I should be, not as I ought to be, but as I am. If God was gonna wait to love me till I was acceptable, I would never warrant his love. God loves you, God loves me, not as I should be, but as I am. But when the love of God breaks into my life, he doesn't leave me in my brokenness. He pulls me out of that and begins to transform me and heal me so I can do what I was made to do in the first place, which was to be a representative of another king and another kingdom. God's love doesn't just save you from hell. It doesn't just deliver you from the penalty. It enters you into a new relationship where you experience the healing grace of God. This is important because I think a lot of us have a really, really shallow view of grace. We view grace in God a lot like we view helping our kids learn to ride their bikes. 
I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago that I helped Noah learn how to ride his bike. And it was a lot of fun. But parents, if you've been there, you know the drill. You're holding on to the back of the seat. They're pedaling. And at some point you say, all right, take off. And you hope that after a certain number of tries, they get it, they become independent, they take off. And they learn that they have to pedal faster and go forward in order to maintain the momentum to stay balanced and level takes a lot of tries to do that. But when you let go and they finally take off, isn't it exciting parents? It's one of those really fun moments as a mom and a dad to see them take off and do that. But I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, adopt that kind of view of God. Here he is helping me when I first come to know him. And I'm repenting and trusting him and he saves me and he's holding on to me. But a lot of us think that after we're saved, God lets go of us and says, okay, see you in heaven. Hope you figure it out. Hope you can stay balanced and leveled up. But the truth of the gospel says, God actually never lets go of that bike. God doesn't start me off and then spin me off into the future, hoping I figure it out. God stays with me every step of the way. The good news of the gospel is that God doesn't just meet you where you are, meet you in your brokenness. He pulls you out of that. He stays with you so that you can experience his healing and his grace. The healing that you and I need starts and continues when we are willing to confess our brokenness to God and to others. Jesus' divine exchange means you've been given a love that's not achieved It's received. Because the love you've been given has been received, that's not achieved. You didn't earn for it. You didn't work for it. You can't lose it. It means you can willingly, openly come out of the darkness and confess your sin and your hurt to God. The way you experience healing when you are being mistreated is by bringing that mistreatment, bringing that unfair treatment to the Father Every single moment it comes to your mind and your heart. How do you avoid letting injustice in your life make you hard? How do you let it keep you humble? By regularly confessing your sin and your struggle to your heavenly father. Remember, repentance and faith aren't just how I start my faith with the Lord. It's not how I start my relationship. It's also how I continue my relationship. Every day I'm turning and trusting, turning and trusting. You and I have been given this incredible infinite supply of grace that says you and I can know our heavenly father, know his favor, know the special blessing that comes for helping us endure, but we can also experience his healing power and restoration in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm thankful, um, God, for the grace and mercy that you've shown us in your son. And God, I'm thankful, Lord, that there is no way we can lose this love and this mercy and this kindness that you've shown us. God, I pray that as believers, we would be people who would believe that Jesus indeed has given us a love we cannot lose. And because of that, we can endure suffering and difficulty and pain and sorrow. God, I pray for anyone here today who's struggling with being mistreated, who's struggling with something that's 
been unfair in their lives. Maybe it's something that's happened recently. Maybe it's something that's happened a long time ago. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that what you've given them is a love that doesn't just meet them where they are, that brings them to a new place. I pray, Lord, that your word would minister healing and life and mercy and grace to them today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're gonna move into a time of response where we are gonna be reminded as we sing that it is indeed in Christ alone that our hope is found. But as we close, I wanna just offer and make this appeal that there may be some of you here today who've never experienced the grace and mercy of God. There may be some of you today that have never crossed that line of faith and trusted Jesus. We started our time of worship today with a beautiful celebration of somebody who has. Wasn't that great? Seeing somebody say, I believe Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and I trust Him and Him alone. Please understand that's not something you're born into. That's not something that happens because you go to a certain number of church services. Becoming a Christian is not something that happens because you give a certain amount of money, you help enough little old ladies across the street. Becoming a Christian is something that happens in your life when you confront face to face your sin, your brokenness. The gospel is good news, but it starts with some bad news. And the bad news is that every one of us have sinned. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is that God had a standard for us that all of us have missed, all of us have fallen short of. If you've ever lied, you ever stolen, you ever disobeyed your parents, ever held on to lust or pride in your heart, the Bible says we've fallen short of God's standard. And the problem with this gap between God's standard and our performance is that it creates a penalty. The Bible says the penalty for our sin is death. We deserve, every one of us without exception, God's wrath and justice in an everlasting hell. But the good news of the gospel today is that you deserve that and I deserve that. Jesus Christ died in our place. He offered his life for you. He took the penalty that you and I should have been given and in so doing, he made it possible for us to be forgiven because Jesus didn't die and stay dead. He three days later rose from the grave to say to you and to me, you can be forgiven, you can be restored, but you have to repent and trust Christ. If you're here today or you're watching online and you've never placed your faith and your trust in Christ, I'd like to lead you in a prayer at this time. If you bow your heads with me, close your eyes. There'll be some of you here today in this room or some of you watching online that would just say, you know what? I need this grace. I need this mercy and forgiveness Spencer's been talking about, but I don't know what to do. Here's a way that you can respond. If that's you today, you'd say, I'd like to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You can say something as simple as this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am broken and that I need you. I know that I've lied, I've stolen, I've disobeyed my parents. I've done that and more. And I deserve your punishment, God. But right now, Lord, I believe that Jesus took my place. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. And I believe, Lord, 
that because he's done that for me, I'm forgiven. Right now, Lord, I trust Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection for my sins. And Lord, right now, I confess that I wanna follow him all of my days. Still with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there may be some of you here today that prayed that. I wanna pray for you. Lord, I pray for these today watching in person or online who may have for the first time just prayed to receive Christ. God, I pray that you would open their eyes, show them, God, the desperate need that they have for you. Show them, God, that this is a church that would love and support and encourage them. But but I also pray, Lord, for people who still may be struggling with this decision, struggling to really know and experience your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to minister to their heart that you'd make them restless till they find their hope in you, Jesus. In your name we pray.